Radio Mano Papachango. This is my podcast, Tangentially Speaking. My name's Chris Ryan. I'm the host with the most. Today's my 59th birthday. Uh, and in the spirit of birthdays as they're celebrated in Spain, I'm giving some things away today. <clears throat> so before I get into this episode, which is kind of a hybrid of a ranting Roma and a what makes this book great kind of situation. Uh, I'm going to be talking about a book called The Way of the Superior Man, which uh, lots of people have recommended that I read over the last few years. Um, but before I get into that, uh, I want to say that this episode is brought to you by Lilo, my one of my only sponsors. I'm not sure. There might be another sponsor, but... Uh, we're sort of still negotiating that one. But in the for the moment, Lilo is uh, giving away, I'm giving away by way of Lilo, two, not one, but two, count them, high-end sex toys. Uh, one of them is called the Sila, S-I-L-A. It's a product designed to be both beautiful and not intimidating in order to attract those that have yet to discover the world of sex toys and self-pleasure. Um, this thing is wild. It kind of looks like a seashell um, or something like that. It's a clitoral stimulator, but it, it stimulates the clitoris through sound waves, I believe. Um, <clears throat> so the, um, the copy on it is all about how it's like slow and... Um, sort of, you know, you're not in a hurry. This is a, a very uh, relaxed, um, kind of quiet, slow build-up orgasmic experience. The Sonic Clitoral Massager from Lilo. S-I-L-A. And then the other one we're giving away, this is a first. <clears throat> this is for the gentlemen out there. Uh, this is a prostate massager called the Loki, L-O-K-I. Yeah, it's uh, it's got a flared base for safety and uh, extraordinary power, completely new tapered design and a flared base that provides additional stimulation. What's more, it's 100% waterproof and has all these Lilo products, fully USB rechargeable. I uh, can use in the shower or wherever you want out on the back 40 on the tractor. So if you're into uh, prostate massage, gentlemen, uh, you can get one of these Lokis. Uh, the way you get them is you go to my Instagram feed and you um, make sure you follow me and that you follow Lilo. And then you explain, first of all, in this case, you're going to have to say which one you want and why you want it. It's going to be interesting to see how many dudes are actually going to publicly say, uh, yeah, I'd like to enter the drawing for the prostate massager. <laughs> we might not get anyone. Uh, we'll see. Um, you know, or ladies, you can say, I'd like the prostate massager for my guy. Uh, I don't know. You can say whatever you want and uh, we will choose a winner for each one. In the meantime, if you don't want to go that route, just go to Lilo.com, L-E-L-O, enter Chris Ryan at checkout, and you'll get 20% off any and all full-priced items. So there you go. That is enough about Lilo for the moment. Um, so this episode, The Way of the Superior Man, it's um, David Deida, I think is the way you pronounce the author's name. This book... Um, the reason I'm talking about it is I think that this book was written to address a significant need. And I feel, 
uh, that it, like a lot of the attempts to address this particular need, it gets it half right. Um, and I, I don't know whether it's a net positive or a net negative, but I feel like part of it, it gets very, very right. And part of it gets very wrong. And so we're left with, um, left with a frustrating, confusing misconception. So let me explain what I mean. The need that is being addressed is that I think there are a lot of young men who are confused um, by women, confused by their own sexuality, confused by the situation they find themselves in, which is one of, I, I think, a lot of danger, a lot of condemnation, a lot of shaming of some of the fundamental characteristics of male sexual energy, masculine sexual energy, let's say. Uh, and as I talk about this, um, you know, when I, I use the terms masculine or, or male, uh, I'm using them somewhat sloppily uh, in the sense that I'm equating masculinity with men, which isn't actually 100% accurate. They're, all men contain some masculine and some feminine energy, just as all women contain both of those energies. Uh, you know, in men, those energies tend to be... Uh, more weighted toward the masculine and in women toward the feminine, but not always. So, um, you know, please keep that in mind that, you know, when I talk about these things, I'm, I'm generalizing and I, by doing that, I don't mean to exclude anyone. Um, these energies are present in relationships between gay men and between lesbians, you know, these energies are flowing through all relationships, all sexual relationships anyway. Um, but, you know, it becomes tedious to, to stipulate that constantly. So let me just say that at the beginning and then move on clumsily through the rest of what I wanted to say. Um, so I, th I think that that we live in a time where it's very dangerous to um, to express the, these sorts of masculine energies. And to a certain extent, that is totally understandable and necessary because the clumsy or um, careless or unfeeling expression of masculine energy uh, is brutality. It's aggression without thought or consideration or kindness or concern or compassion. And we don't need any more of that in the world. Um, and there's been too much of that. That has been the norm for centuries. And so the, um, the rebellion against that, the, the, the reaction against that is uh, warranted. But of course, the ugly expression of something doesn't necessarily invalidate the thing itself. So uh, for an example, there are really bad rock and roll bands, but that doesn't mean that rock and roll is necessarily a shitty kind of music, right? Uh, they're horrible guitarists, but that doesn't make the guitar an unworthy instrument. So there have been very um, inappropriate and, and, and aggressive and ugly expressions of male sexuality, just as there have been ugly, aggressive, duplicitous expressions of female sexual energy or feminine sexual energy. Um, but that doesn't invalidate women. That doesn't make women bad people. And the fact that there have been rapists and murderers and plunderers uh, doesn't mean that men are all rapists or that men are, are necessarily damaged or bad or, um, you know, horrible people. And And so I think we're living in this strange historical moment where there's a backlash against masculine energy that, that is legitimate and warranted, but a lot of 
young men are getting caught up in that and um, confused because there doesn't appear to be guidance on how to experience and express that energy without hurting anybody and without getting yourself into trouble. And uh, so a book like this is designed to address that need. It's it's providing a roadmap for young men on how to be a man. And, and I do think that there's um, an absence for that kind of guidance. And I think that in our culture, and I think that that's one of the reasons that, you know, podcasts like this and Joe Rogan and, you know, people like Jordan, um, what's his name, Jordan Cooper? Am I saying his name right? The, the Canadian dude. Um, you know, why there's an audience for this? Because a lot of young men are looking to older men and saying, okay, show me how to do this, man. You know, I, I want to be a good man, but I am a man, you know, like what's a an intelligent, balanced expression of this masculinity? So that's what this book is meant to address. Let me read a a section from the beginning of the book. Uh, Daida says, if sexual passion is to flow in polarized intimacies, masculine and feminine differences should be magnified, not diminished in moments of intimacy. When these polarities are lessened due to family and work obligations, sexual attraction is diminished along with spiritual depth and physical health. So this is a big point that he makes in the beginning of the book that Basically, that men shouldn't try not to be men and that women shouldn't try not to be women, uh, which I think a lot of people are doing now, right? Like a lot of men are so um, ashamed of the masculine energy within them that they attempt to excise it. Uh, they, They try to cut it out like a tumor. And so they end up with, they end up neutered. They end up without a, f- a, a sense of their own manhood. So they are diminished. And without that healthy expression of their masculine energy, they are trapped and lost. And they, they have no energy and they have no decisiveness and they have no courage because they feel like anything they say or do is going to be wrong. It's going to hurt someone. There's no healthy expression of this energy. And on the other side, you have women who have been told, you know, uh, a strong woman doesn't take care of a man, doesn't like to cook, doesn't like to, um, you know, do be sexually submissive or whatever. A, a strong woman, strength is strength. So a strong woman looks like a strong man. And a lot of women are feeling like, but that's not me. I'm not, I'm not assertive in that way. And so the problem that data is pointing to, and I think he's right to point to it is that there's a lot of shame about these essential energies. And there's an assumption that's being pushed in society that there that these energies are totally culturally um, fomented, that they're created by culture, that they don't exist inside us, in our DNA, in our hormones, in our blood, uh, and therefore they're artificial and should be disregarded or um, neutralized. You know, I just finished recording a podcast with a guy named John, John Colopinto, which will go up in a few days. Fascinating guy. He's a, an author, New Yorker, staff writer, used to write for Rolling Stone. He wrote a book about um, a guy named David, who who you'll hear it if you listen to that episode. We talk about it quite a bit. But he, he his penis was cut off when he was a baby because he there was a mistake in a circumcision. And uh, at the time, this was the early 70s, Dr. John Money, who was one of the leading scientists in the world studying gender and, and, and sexuality, um, he was arguing that these that that gender and and masculine, feminine, all this was totally culturally indoctrinated, 
And so what he recommended was that they remove the rest of this kid's genitals and raise this baby as a girl. And that there wouldn't be a problem because it's all cultural anyway. So just never tell the kid that he was that this kid was born with a penis and just like raise him as a girl and no problem. Well, it didn't work out that way. But here we are 50 years later, still arguing about this, right? Still having these arguments about whether male and female is anything other than cultural conditioning, which, you know, to me as someone who studied evolution for a long time is absurd. Um, but here we are, you know, it's, it's a strange place to be where, you know, some of the same people who claim that race is a total creation are also arguing for reparations based on race or, you know, different sorts of um, government policies that are based on race. So, like, it's the same thing with gender. It's like, wait a minute, is it real or not? And and I don't understand how that is actually a debate, but it is <clears throat> in any case. Um, so Data's point is rather than trying to neutralize these things, which takes the friction and fire and heat out of relationships, we should be um, increasing them. Uh, you know, what does he say? They should be magnified, not diminished. Um, which I can see, although I don't think the reason to magnify them is to increase sexual passion. I, and I don't think they should be magnified so much as that they should be acknowledged, accepted, and honored. Um, but let's go further into this. Uh, so in the next page, he says, stressing your masculine or feminine essence into a falsely balanced persona affects virtually every part of you. Okay, so here he's talking about this kind of neutralization of your masculine or feminine energy. He says, many people with true feminine essences manifest a whole range of disturbed physiological symptoms as their feminine energy dries up due to running excess masculine energy through their body in order to fit into the masculine style of work. So I guess here he's thinking of the sort of masculine, <clears throat> you know, woman executive, uh, you know, trying to act like a man, dress like a man, you know, power suits and all that stuff. And then he says, and many people with masculine essences seeking to fit in with the feminine style of cooperation and energy flow. Uh, and here I'm thinking of a barista in Portland. Uh, disconnect from their sense of life purpose and inhibit their deep truth, afraid of the consequences of being authentic to their own masculine core. Hence the frequent complaints about too many ball busters and wimps. Right. Because <clears throat> you hear this from, from women, like, I want a strong man, but I want him to be strong when I tell him to be and how I want him to be. And like, mm, then you don't really want a strong man, do you? Um, so then he says, um, if you are, for instance, a heterosexual man with a true masculine sexual essence, you will be more or less constantly attracted to feminine women. Uh, okay. And that's probably true. And But th then things start to get weird. See, th this is the thing about this book. I think that he's right on the money when he says, hey, there's no shame in being a man. There's no shame in being a woman. There's no shame in your masculine energy. So if you're a lesbian with a lot of masculine energy, own it. There's no shame in that. If you're a gay dude with a lot of feminine energy, own that. If you're a straight guy with feminine energy, own that. Whatever you are, own it. Be it. Accept it. Love it. I'm totally down with that. But the problem with this is that he starts to get into demonization of women. At least that's how it reads to me. Um, and I think that is a major problem. Uh, the way he gets into it first is he starts talking about how a man 
engages with women in the same way that a man engages with the world. And it gets kind of rapey. For example, he says on page 32, there is no essential difference between entering your woman's feminine heart and entering fully into the world. All right, I don't know. That's okay. Both forms of intercourse, sexual and worldly, require sensitivity, spontaneity, and a strong connection to deep truth in order to penetrate chaos and closure in a way that love prevails. See what he's doing here? He's equating femininity with chaos and resistance, which he calls closure. He uses the word closure here. Now, I don't think you want to be penetrating closure because that's kind of the definition of rape. And and conceiving of women as the embodiment of chaos, which is something that uh, Jordan Peterson does. I called him Jordan Cooper earlier. Why, why did I do that? Jordan Peterson... Um, he does that as well. Uh, it seems to me to be both demeaning and self-limiting. And I'll, I'll get back to the way in which it's self-limiting a little later. Getting back to the book, Data says, neither woman nor world are predictable. They will often seem to resist your gifts and test your capacity to persist. Hmm. Uh, They will open in love and receive you fully only to resist and test you again moments or days later. Now, this is a theme that runs through the book, this idea that women are chaotic, unpredictable, and essentially untrustworthy, uh, which I think is a mistake. I know it's a mistake. Um, and it's a, it's a stereotype of women that there, there was a phrase, the, the, uh, what was the phrase that the Republicans used to use? They were talking about welfare and, and they were basically saying like, if you, if you don't expect people to work for money, it actually hurts them. If you just give them the money, which is a concept I don't really agree with, but the phrase was interesting. It was the tyranny of low expectations. And I think that a lot of this book suffers from the tyranny of low expectations um, concerning women. It, it seems r- written by a 14-year-old boy who's experience of women has been like his crazy mother and his teenage sister. Um, and he's not old enough to understand that his mother's not really crazy. His mother's dealing with, you know, an abusive alcoholic husband and his sister's 16 years old and, you know, going through high school. And he's just extrapolated um, out to, to all women from that experience with those two extreme cases. It kind of feels like this guy doesn't really know a lot of women. Um So to continue here, he says, there are two ways to deal with women in the world without compromising your true gifts or dribbling away the force of your deep being. That's another complaint I have with this book. The writing um, sometimes veers into cringy, weird ass, like sexual double entendre that is not like, I don't even know if he's aware of what he's doing, dribbling away the force of your deep being. Really, dude? Um, okay, one way is to renounce sexual intimacy and worldliness, totally dedicating yourself without distraction or compromise to the path you choose to pursue, free of the seemingly constant demands of woman in the world. The other way, so that's a become a monk or something, right? Uh, The other way is to fuck both to smithereens, to ravish them with your love unsheathed, to give your true gifts despite the constant tussle of woman and world, 
to smelt your authentic gifts in this friction of opposition and surrender to thrust the love from freedom of your deep being even as your body and mind die blissfully through a crucifixion of inevitable pleasure and pain what i mean really we're ravishing them with our love unsheathed this is the advice we're giving um like to give your gifts despite her resistance like no 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 you don't give your gift whether your gift is your dick or your cum or your attention or your time or your valentine's day chocolates you don't give them to someone who doesn't want them so if if you're encountering a lot of resistance then back the fuck off there's nothing authentic and beautiful about forcing your gifts on somebody um that's not the way you do this and so this understanding of woman as being this capricious constantly testing uh, here we go on page 51 he says woman often seems to test her man's capacity to remain unperturbed in his truth and purpose she tests him uh, to know that he is trustable her tests may come in the form of complaining, challenging, changing her mind, doubting him, distracting him, or even undermining his purpose in a subtle or not so subtle way. Dude, this is not the essence of woman. This is a woman who needs therapy. This is a woman who doesn't really love you. This is a woman who doesn't have her shit together. And that's why I say it's it's both demeaning of women and it's self-limiting in the sense that, you know, you're in a relationship with a woman who is not down with you. And instead of understanding that and moving on and trying to find a better woman and, and, or a woman who's more evolved psychologically and also getting your own shit together, what you're doing here or what he's recommending is that we just accept that this is the way it is. This is the way women are, right? So what you need to do is learn how to deal with this, learn how to accept it, not how to reject it and say, Hey, that's not the way I want to live my life. So, the advice here is that this is the way women are. They will doubt you. They'll distract you. They'll undermine your purpose. They'll challenge you. Um, and that you should just accept this. He, he literally says a man should never think his woman's testing is going to end and his life will get easier. Well, no, not if you stay with that crazy woman. I move on, dude. Rather, he should appreciate that she does these things to feel his strength, integrity, and openness. What? As he grows, so will her testing. So she'll never stop fucking with you. And, and this is the nature of relationships. Now, listen, I'm not saying that women don't test men in relationship and that men don't test women in relationship. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily unhealthy or crazy or um, damaging or whatever. I'm saying that it should be a transitional phase. Uh, you know, we test our friends. We want to know if we can trust them. Uh, you know, we... Uh, we test the boundaries in, in all sorts of ways and all sorts of relationships. And that's totally acceptable and normal and unavoidable. But presenting it as like, that's just the way women are. They will never trust you. They will never stop trying to undermine you and draw you away from your truth and your authenticity and all that. That sets up women in this demonic way that isn't a lot different from you know witch burning and and the kind of medieval demonization of strong assertive women now listen women have a lot of reason not to trust men uh you know, you don't have to look very long to find examples of men who lie to women in order to fuck them. Uh, that's kind of considered normal, right? The, this whole 
you know, or, or men who undermine women's self-confidence in order to get into their pants. And like, there's a lot of n- fucking evil shit out there uh, that men have been doing to women without even getting to physical assault and rape, just undermining of self-confidence and, and you know, making women feel like y- you can't do better than me. So, you know, you better just settle. Um that shit's epidemic. And so it's normal and expectable that a, that women are going to say, okay, who are you, dude? You're coming across all sweet and nice now at the beginning of our relationship because you're, you're getting this sweet pussy and you're, you know, uh, everything's new and fun and wild. Um, but who are you really? Who are you going to be a year or two from now? And um, so it's totally normal that they would test you. But at a certain point, uh, where I part ways from this book is that the book is saying that's just the way it is, learn to deal with it. And what I'm saying is, no, that's the way it is initially because she doesn't know you, she doesn't trust you. But when she has spoken to your ex or your two of your exes, when she knows your mom, when she knows your sister, when she knows your other women friends, when she's been around and seen your world and seen the way you treat people. And at a certain point, it's like enough, you know me. So enough of this shit. Are we together? If we're together, we're together. And I need you to treat me like someone you respect, not someone who you're constantly thinking is one phone call or text away from dropping you. And to me, that is the response of the man who is true to his essence, because that's a man who says, hey, I have dignity here. I understand what you're doing. I understand why you're doing it. I have sympathy with that. I feel compassion for that. But at a certain point, make a decision. Enough is enough. I'm not going to prove myself to you for the rest of my life. To me, that's the, the way of the self-respecting man. Uh, not just sort of writing off half the population of the world as being unreliable and crazy. And listen, one of the reasons that women test men is that women don't trust other women. And honestly, in general, I think women don't have a lot of respect for men's capacity to uh, to see through um, the strategies employed by some women who may not be uh, morally ethical. And... Um, I remember there's this song, Stand By Your Man, which is a song about essentially not leaving your guy uh, when he cheats on you. Uh, and just it's sort of the opposite of, of what this book is. Now, this was in the 40s or 50s, Stand By Your Man. I think it was Loretta Lynn or something. It's kind of a country western song. Anyway, there's a moment in in the song where she says, after all, he's just a man. And what she means by that is like, uh, he can't help it, you know, like, okay, he met this stewardess with big tits and he, you know, defucked her, but he's just a man. What do you expect? And the thing is, I reject that as well. Right. And and I think you need to reject that just like you reject, like all women are crazy and like all men are horn dogs. Like, yeah, we're all horny. I wrote a book about that men and women. That doesn't mean we're untrustworthy. It doesn't mean, you know, that we all follow our dicks around. It doesn't mean that we don't have self-control or self-awareness or knowledge or self-respect. And it doesn't mean that, you know, any woman who comes along can convince me to do anything. And I think that's one of the big fears. And that's one of the reasons that women set up these tests, because the idea is, look, if you, if I can manipulate you, and get you to do things that you don't believe in, get you to say things that you don't believe are true, well, then so can anyone else. And so I'm not safe with you. And so 
Yes, there is a place for these tests, but after a while, I think the the evolved step is to say, okay, you've tested me. I've passed the tests. You know me. Now let's move on to the next level of this relationship. Right. And then he tells this story about a guy who has this um, ambition to to earn a million dollars. And one day he, he gets a bonus and like, that's it. He made a million dollars. He's got a million dollars. And he comes home and he says to his wife, like, you know, I've always wanted to have a million dollars. Well, guess what? Today I did it, baby. I did it. I got a million dollars. And she's like, oh, yeah, great. But did you pick up the milk I asked you to pick up on the way home? And he's like, no, but I, I got a million dollars. She's like, well, yeah, but you didn't get the milk, did you? And so he tells the story as like, this is the nature of relationship. Okay. And he says, now I'm quoting, she's challenging you because your success doesn't mean shit to her unless you are free and loving. And if you are free and loving, nothing she says can collapse you. She wants to feel you are uncollapsible. So she pokes you in your weak spot. It never ends. A woman will always test her man for the pleasure of feeling his strength in loving, his capacity to transcend nuisance, his persistence in his own truth. Even when she is complaining, especially when she is complaining, her complaint is the beginning of her pleasure. It is not true criticism, but a test of your Shiva-hood. Okay. The criticism is entirely dissolved in love as soon as she feels your humor in the midst of the poke. It never ends. This is the secret. You can't get out of it. Finding a different woman won't get you out of it. Therapy won't get you out of it. Financial or sexual mastery won't get you out of it. Your woman is testing you because she loves you. This is a bunch of bullshit, people. This is a bunch of bullshit right here. Uh, I can tell you, as a, a newly minted 59-year-old, I've been with lots of women who were not the least bit interested in fucking with my head and testing me and being a nuisance to me and constantly hitting me in my vulnerable spots and, and trying to make me feel like shit as some sort of perverse, twisted way of achieving her own pleasure in seeing how, like, I don't get bothered even when she's a total pain in the ass. Like that is not an accurate description of women or of a healthy relationship with a woman. That is a description of a fucked up relationship as far as I'm concerned. Like you come home, you're really happy. You've done something that you've always wanted to do and you share your happiness with your woman. And she's like, yeah, but you didn't get the milk. You're a piece of shit. And we're, and we're to believe like, oh, that's just the way women are. You know, bitches be cray cray. What? That's no, 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 no. Totally wrong. Um, you know, and, and again, we get this. Here we are. Just remember that any woman you are with will cycle through moods of closure every day, which seem to have no reason to them. It never ends. Even if you're passionate, fearless, loving, and humorous. No, that's not true. That's not true. I've been with women for years who never close. Who are always open and honest and sincere. I mean, they go through moods just like men do. They, they have good days and bad days. But the problem with this is that in order... So much of this stuff is like, okay, men, we're the reasonable ones. We're the rational ones. We're the ones who know how to think straight. Women are nuts. And so in order to be a good man, you just have to accept the fact that women are nuts and find ways to ignore them when they're being fucking crazy. That's the essence of a lot of this teaching. And that is bullshit. 
Um, women are different from men, no doubt. Or I should say, you know, getting back to my initial point, feminine energy is different from masculine energy. The moon is different from the sun. Uh, you know, women who are going through menstrual cycles, yes, there are changes there. There are days when uh, a lot of women feel just like very close to tears. They just wake up feeling that way. And they're very tender and easy to, um, you know, to, they're, they're close to the edge of, of emotional um, expression. And so they're very sensitive. And that has a lot to do with hormones and it can be physical, you know, like oh, my breasts are really sensitive. Uh, it can be psychological. I feel ugly. I feel unhappy. I feel, I don't know why. And th that's legitimate, but it doesn't mean anybody's crazy, right? That's not crazy. That's just a, a shifting perspective. And it doesn't mean that those feelings are illegitimate. It just means that from a man's perspective, women are more kind of, they flow. And so when you're dealing with women, and I'm talking to men here, like you want to be sensitive to the fact that your perspective is more of like a pivot point. Like you look at things from the same spot often, whereas women are more like a tracking shot in a movie where the camera can be rolling down and look at things from different perspectives as their hormones are shifting as they go through um, the menstrual cycle. And then I think this extends into other parts of consciousness. So yes, there are differences and those differences are really interesting and you can learn a lot from them and they can be frustrating sometimes because you're, like oh, yesterday you were really horny and today you're not really feeling uh, today you're sensitive, but that doesn't mean she's crazy and it doesn't mean she's testing you. And it doesn't mean she's got some perverse, uh, you know, pleasure circuit that involves driving you crazy. It just means that that's the nature of her experience. And if you want to know her and love her and be in a relationship with her, get to know that experience, understand that experience, talk to her about that experience, but don't dismiss her as like, oh, you're a woman, so you're just fucking nuts. And I feel like that's what a lot of these teachings seem to do. Um, okay. And here's some other weird shit he says. This is on page 82. Masculine men are attracted to forms of feminine energy. <clears throat> okay. Radiant women, beer, music, nature, etc. So, how, beer is feminine energy? I don't I don't understand that. Um yeah, and then he says again, music, beer, nature, women, they're all forms of feminine energy. How is nature feminine energy? Nature is like everything. Surely, if anything contains both masculine and feminine energy, it's nature, right? I, I don't understand that. And music? How is music feminine energy? Um. Anyway, and here he gets into, this is on page 86, he, he really gets into this point about women are nuts. He says, um, the more masculine man can expect that any woman who really turns him on and enlivens him will also be relatively wild, undisciplined, bonkers, chaotic, prone to changing her mind and lying. Okay? So this is, this is literally what's written here. He says, any woman who really turns him on, this is a masculine man, right? Will be relatively wild, undisciplined, bonkers, chaotic, prone to changing her mind and lying. Still, from an energetic perspective, this kind of woman will be much more healing and inspiring to him 
than a more balanced or neutral woman who is steady, reasonable, trustworthy, and able to say what she means in a way he can understand. (laughs) Are you fucking kidding me, dude? So you think you're going to be healed by a woman who lies to you, he's chaotic, constantly changing her mind, undisciplined, and bonkers. You're going to be healed by her more than you are by a woman who is steady, reasonable, trustworthy, and can express herself in a way that's comprehensible. That's a bunch of horseshit right there. Um, he says, uh, women who are reasonable... Um, you may enjoy spending time with them, but they don't arouse your passion as much as women whose words you wouldn't trust to remain true for an afternoon, but who move their body in a way that drives you wild. So, so he seems to be saying that there is a correlation between women who are sexy and women who are untrustworthy and nuts. And I have to admit, there was a time where I kind of believed that. Um, I had a, one of my early relationships was with with a woman who was extremely passionate um, and very sexually uh, embodied and also who lied to me. Um, and I understand why she lied to me. She came from a very tumultuous childhood. She had a very difficult time when she was young and she was a survivor and we were coming from very different worlds. And sometimes when she was afraid that she was losing me, she um, would lie to me in in ways that kind of kept me on the hook And I was young and I knew uh, either immediately or shortly thereafter that she had lied. But, you know, I had been with other women at that point and I had never experienced the kind of passion with other women that I was with her. And so I kept kind of like, like, let's try again, you know, because I thought based on my very limited experience, that there was a correlation between the abandon of extreme sexual passion and the kind of lack of self-control, let's say. Um, And it wasn't until later in life that I, I had relationships with women where I realized that, like, no, women, like men, like anyone who are evolved can choose when to turn on and to turn off that self-control. So there are women who are not nuts, who are not bonkers, who are not untrustworthy, who are not, you know, intentionally being a pain in the ass in order to test you, who can also, when they want to, when they're having sex or when they're dancing or when they're laughing or... When they want to let go, they can let go. And uh, so that's why I say it, it, this book to me feels like it's written by someone who doesn't really know many women, because at least in my experience, that was a very early stage where I made this correlation between passion and lack of self-control. Daida says, a woman with a more feminine sexual essence will say she loves you one moment, and then when you have done something you are not even aware of, she will say she hates you. This is not about feminine sexual essence. This is about someone who does not have her shit together. If someone, I don't care if it's a man or a woman, They say they love you and then they say they hate you. If they're not saying I hate you in a joking sort of, oh, I hate you. Why don't you come over here and fuck me? If they're not saying it like that, if they're saying I hate you. That's not an expression of feminine sexual essence. That's an expression of. Of rage, 
And it may be rage at you. It may be rage at herself. It may be rage at the world. <clears throat> but it's it's not understood by her. It's not. It's dangerous. And it's corrosive. And that's not someone you should be building a life with. Whether she honestly hates you or not, the fact that she's willing to say it to you means that's not who you should be devoting yourself to. And then there's some just like weird racist shit in this book, too. On page 100, Data says, some women are hotter, some are cooler. In general, blonde, light-skinned Japanese and Chinese women are cooler Dark-skinned, brunette, red-headed, Korean, and Polynesian women are hotter. What? What? Yeah. So, anyway. uh, Yeah. You know, in Data's cosmology, I'm apparently a weak man. Because he says, if you are a weak man... The feminine trait of wanting one thing and asking for another will piss you off. You'll wonder, why don't you just tell me what you want instead of saying one thing and meaning another and expecting me to figure it out? This is a view of a man who does not understand that women are an incarnation of the divine feminine. And the divine feminine settles for nothing less than the divine masculine. What a bunch of bullshit. No, no. Fuck all that divine feminine and masculine bullshit. If somebody says one thing and wants another thing, they're playing fucking head games. I don't care if it's a man or a woman. This has nothing to do with masculine or feminine. This is about lack of communication skills. It's your job to know what the fuck you want and to say it and to be able to say it. And if you can't say it, to try to say it. And it's my job to have the patience to listen to you intently, to, to really give you my attention, and to respect the fact that you're trying to say something, even if you don't quite know how to say it, even if it's difficult for you to say it because it brings up shame or it brings up doubt or you're afraid I'm going to leave you or love you less. It's my job to show that I am most interested in knowing who you are and what you really feel. And that that authenticity and truth is the most important thing. And that's what we're here to do. That's what we're in a relationship to do. We are, relationships are mechanisms. Relationships are, are, are funny because, you know, On the one hand, a relationship is a shelter from the storm. It's a place to feel safe, a place to be, to know that you're welcome and you're loved and and you can come in when life is, is crazy. There's a fucking storm outside. You can come in and sit by the fire and know that you're loved and, and protected and safe. But on the other hand, relationships are also a mechanism for growth because The only way that that first part works, the only way a relationship truly is a shelter is if you are psychologically and emotionally naked and vulnerable with that person. In other words, if someone says they love you, but you know that they don't really know you, because you've never been honest with them about who you are, then their love is meaningless. Because you know that the person that they love doesn't exist. That the person that they love is this act that you've been putting on. It's this partial vision of a person. It's the parts of you that you've let them see, but not the parts of you you haven't let them see. And so that's a shelter with a big fucking hole in the roof where the rain comes right into the living room. The only way that that shelter is actually going to shelter you is for you to have the courage and the 
the energy because it takes energy. It's work to honestly show that person who you are. And to do that, you're risking that that person might say, you know what? Thank you for showing me your true self, but um, that's not what I'm looking for. And that can happen. And that will hurt because the reason we don't show other people our true selves is because we're afraid of rejection. And the worst rejection is when you're standing there totally naked. This is me. Warts and all. And the person says, thank you. But now that I've seen your warts, uh, I'm out. That is devastating. But you know what's more devastating? Building a relationship on a lie. Building a relationship on a partial truth about who you are, what your desires are, what's meaningful to you, what kind of life you want to have. Because the thing about the rejection is it happens, it sucks, it's acute, and you recover, and you're stronger. You'll be better. And maybe there will be two, three, four of those rejections, and then you'll be with someone who looks at you standing there naked, warts and all, and they say, you are just what I was looking for. I've looked my whole life for someone who will show me themselves. Because the thing is, no matter how ugly you feel, there is something incredibly beautiful about the courage required to be free and naked and unapologetic about what you are, who you are. And so you need to sort of trust that. And and honestly, maybe this is why I rebel against this book, uh, and particularly the depiction of women in this book, because one of the reasons I love and admire women so much is their incredible capacity for vulnerability, their incredible courage um, to recognize and respect vulnerability. And maybe this is, maybe there's an evolutionary angle to this, you know, that women wipe the asses of the babies. Women see the, the helpless little creature from the very beginning and they hold that creature, that creature comes out of their bodies and they put it against their breast and they hold it and they sleep with it and it grows and it becomes a man someday. And so when a woman looks at a man, she sees the whole thing. She sees all the way back to the infant that he once was. She sees the vulnerability. Whereas the man is like, hey, this is me. I'm tough. I'm 40 years old. I'm 35. I'm 59. Whatever I am, I'm a man. I take care of myself. I know what's going on. And yeah, that's you today, man. But you contain all your previous incarnations as well. And she sees those. I think in a way that maybe men don't don't have that comprehensive of you. And so what I'm saying is that there is an incredible strength in in the capacity to be vulnerable and there's some, it's like a beautiful light that shines on you. So even if you in your nakedness are not, you look in the mirror and you're like, that is not a particularly beautiful man right there or woman. You have to understand that the light that shines on you when you express that vulnerability is like firelight. It makes everything look good or look better. Um, so, you know, this, he, he, he takes this sort of demonization of women into sex as well. And he, you know, he talks about this, um, like, you know, when men come, they lose all their energy and they lose their focus on their path and the women will tempt you into this as a way of testing you. Once again, she's testing you. 
um, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, he says excess ejaculations will diminish your courage to take risks. I mean, what the fuck, man? This is like medieval writing, uh, very sex shaming. Um, every time a woman sucks you into an uncontrollable need to ejaculate, she has conquered you. She controls you and masters you. What? With a simple flick of her tongue, a silky moan, or a slurping tilt of her pelvis, she can drain you of life. Now, this is, this is pernicious nonsense, right? This is the woman as Satan. This is literally nuts. Uh, you know, I'm sorry. A woman does not control and master you when you ejaculate, I mean, Jesus Christ, if you, if that's what you think, like you, you'll never relax. You never enjoy yourself. I mean, this woman's the, the incarnation of fucking Satan there next to you. Um, yeah. So I don't know. A slurping tilt of her pelvis. I, I've never heard a slurping tilt of anyone's pelvis and she can drain you of life. Look, if you think women are out to drain you of life, uh, you got to work that shit out before you start spending your life with women. That's, I guess, the bottom line for me. Women are not evil. Women are not the incarnation of Satan. Women are not trying to test you by being a nuisance and with a slurping tilt of their pelvises, they are not trying to drain you of life. Women are your friends. Women are facing the challenges that you're facing. We're all in this together. We're all doing the best we can. And the first step toward having a healthy relationship with women, I think, is liking them and loving them and respecting them and liking and loving and respecting yourself. So I do not recommend the way of the superior man by Daniel Deida. I think this book would better be called the way of the inferior man. All right. So speaking of slurping tilts of pelvises, don't forget that uh, Lilo.com is sponsoring this episode of the podcast. You can go there and use Chris Ryan at checkout and get 20% off any full-priced items that you find therein. And if you would like to enter a giveaway situation on Instagram, go follow me, follow Lilo, and then explain why you would like to win the sonic clitoral massager or the prostate massager and uh, you will be in the running for one of those. Thank you very much for listening to this extended rant. It's a pleasure to be able to talk to you all, and I hope this was um, helpful for, for some of you. Um, and as always, people who uh, support the podcast through my website uh, submit questions, and I do a, a Roma thing every month where I respond to questions there. And so far, I've been responding to all of them, except, you know, for oversight or whatever. But um, so if you have a question, or you want to follow up on this, and you support the podcast through my website, um, you can submit a question and I'll answer it uh, in a video Roma shortly. All right. Thanks, everybody. I hope you're doing well out there. And I will talk with you again soon. I'm going to play you out with a song called She Drives Me Crazy by the Fine Young Cannibals. All right.